0: Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to Game Four of the NBA Finals between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. The Nuggets have a three-one lead in the finals and are one game away from winning the championship. I don't know why I'm saying this like it's uh, like it's an AP bulletin or something that people listening to this show don't know about. Um, I guess it's been a long season. It's been a long playoffs. We might be near the end. Um, what did you What do you think of Game Four? Do you think
1: the series is over? How How are you feeling? I, I wonder if there's like a, a market need for like an AP style, like Ben. It's a It's like a cross between like, like ESPN style AP news. Give <laughs> people the facts. Give them the bullet point. Li- like is, that- this Ken- so that- is this Kendall <laughs> coming out here? <laughs> that's, that's all I can do right now. That's all I got. But like an AP-style news thing where you just get the bullet points of like what happens in each quarter. That's I, I don't know. Maybe the people want that in terms of their news coverage nowadays because people just love their bullet points.
0: Yeah. Bullet points are uh, Denver. Denver is good. Denver is very good. They're very close to winning a championship. We're going to have to attempt maybe next time to try to contextualize the offense and Jokic and, and all this stuff. Uh, but I spent a lot of time in the video, or I, st- I guess I started in the video, with Miami. I thought the Heat played great, man. I thought they did a great job for the most part. They were really, really physical. I actually had to cut out a few plays. I mean, just PG 13 stuff. It was too, it was too physical. They were, they were too rough. Um, but they tried to jam up Jamal Murray. They pressured him in the backcourt. Bam on bio had like five or six possessions where I made a little note to myself. I'm like, look at Bam get through screens. I don't even know if it's legal half the time. He's just powering through screens. Caleb Martin is grabbing on for dear life everywhere he went. So, they mucked up the game. They brought the force. They brought the intensity. And then their game plan to try to slow down Jokic and Murray after that crazy game three. Uh, and I think I had the stat in the video for game four. They scored or assisted on 84 of the 109 points in the game. Cody, That that that's a lot. That's, that's, so if it felt like they did everything, that's like 80% of the offense that they were responsible for in game 3. So in game 4, when Miami came out, they just committed to the trap and the blitz, two guys on Murray. They brought a third guy into that action, so they had three defenders essentially at all times tilted over to try to stop this two-man action, we saw a little of the shift and peel rotations that have become so popular in the league that we talked about, where the next guy immediately goes to Jokic, so he's not open, and then the guy behind him picks up his man. Uh, it's it's a, it's a replacement. It's a replacement system. You know, you move over one slot, and the guy fills and replaces behind you. Classic basketball. So um, they they come out in game four. They have this. I think, really aggressive game plan to take away the scoring of the big two, the two-man game for the Nuggets. And what I loved is they didn't just say, we're going to trap you or blitz you every time. Sometimes they would switch. Sometimes they made it look like they were going to blitz. The guy took two or three steps. I don't know if it's a communication or a read, but Adebayo is way spaced out, and he has Murray on the ball, and And Vincent says, I'm peeling back, and I'm switching onto Jokic. So, They threw everything at them, but they mixed it up a little bit. And then what did the Nuggets do? They hit 14-28 from downtown. They passed the ball around. They cut into that action like maniacs. Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr. had some cuts, Christian Brown. Um, And at the end of the game, at the end of game three, the final score of the game was what? 109-94? Or something. One sorry, one hundred nine, one 94 I think was the final score of Game Three. The final score of Game Four was one hundred eight ninety five. The offensive ratings in the game in Game Three were like one hundred and twenty for Denver, and I don't know one hundred and two or something like one hundred or something like that for Miami. In Game Four, there were one hundred and twenty for Denver and like one hundred or one hundred and two for Miami. So it's really strange at the end of the night. The final score and the efficiencies were almost identical. Game three was all about these two guys going off, running everything through them, and just carving you up. Game four was, we're going to make someone else beat us, in a sense. They did that. It was a great team effort, and we haven't even talked about the, the unheralded, the under-discussed Denver Nuggets defense.
1: Yeah, I want to. At some point, I want to get to talking about the the other guys for the Nuggets because I think this was a big role player game. A lot of guys stepped up. Aaron Gordon, did he have a Was that a playoff career high? I don't actually know that. It was a playoff
0: career high. Yes, twenty-seven points from Aaron Gordon. I think he was eleven of fifteen from the night. He he just he was on one last night. Beautiful, three of four from downtown um, as part of that great shooting performance for the Nuggets and. You know that, in some sense, that was the difference in making the game such a large discrepancy. Is they made a few extra threes more than expected on their open, wide open jumpers.
1: Yeah, and like you said, I liked a few things Miami did to come out with this game, especially offensively. Like there were a couple plays where Bam does the like grab and go kind of thing, or someone actually finds him at an outlet and he takes it down, and he went straight at Jokic. I think maybe twice in the first half and got a layup out of it. There might have been another time where he's kind of like hanging around the basket. He seals Jokic for a second, gets really good position, uh, scores a basket there. I think he had another one. He powers down a dunk. So Bam was very much asserting his physicality, asserting his athleticism and getting down there and make, getting some of those early shots that I thought were a lot easier than some of the mid-range pull-ups he can count on. Jimmy Butler, whenever he was getting the the KCP switch, He was just bullying him in the post. He had at least least two that I can think of. He seals him down low, gets the switch, gets an easy layup off that. Another one just backs him down. Classic 90s Barkley type of offense. Backs him down for a nice little, like, seven-foot turnaround. There were a few things like that, like I said, that I'm like, okay, Miami's coming out with physicality. Let's see if the Nuggets are able to respond from the mud, if they're able to step up and do something. And then, of course, like you said, they started blitzing, which I found interesting because I think most people, like some people probably had a reaction like, well, what are you doing leaving Jokic open on the three? What are you doing, like, like sending all these guys to Murray? Like, clear, go back to the zone, try something like that. But in game three, we saw Jokic and we saw Murray tear up the zone. We saw them try and, and just do different things that made it untenable to keep playing. So they had to try something. We talked about this last time. The Heat have to get weird if they're going to win this series, so you got to throw it all out there. And credit to Murray, I thought, his patience in taking on the the blitzing coverage the double teams was incredible because the the initial first pass to Jokic was always open right the Heat were always conceding it but Murray waited a beat a couple of times and with his patience waiting that I can think of one where in my mind I'm watching it I'm like Murray kick to Jokic kick to Jokic kick to Jokic and then all of a sudden Michael Porter Jr cuts from the from the the corner gets a pass and throws down a dunk I'm like oh. You were waiting for the better shot. So there's just a calm that the Nuggets have. There's the not getting into the the mud fight that the Heat are calling on. And, you know, like I said, Heat started off good. I was really impressed with the way, the, the poise that the Nuggets fought back in Game 4.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, Kyle Lowry had good minutes in this game as well. He had 13 points. I mean, you're grading on a curve at this point because of his age. But I, I thought he came off the bench in 33 minutes and gave them a a ton of activity. Um, Duncan Robinson. Now they went at Duncan Robinson defensively in the second half. I hear a lot of people saying like, why doesn't Duncan Robinson play more? And I agree. That's a bit of a mystery. It seems like they could just get him more minutes based on the way they can zone and, and protect him and what he's able to give them offensively. But in the second half, you did see some of the reasons why it's because they were able to attack him. Bruce Brown, got out of at least two or three possessions uh, that I kept track of. Uh, so that was uh, something that they have to take care of. But, uh, I mean, man, I thought Miami played well, and it just felt like one of those games. It, it reminded me a little of the 2001 finals where it was 1-1 Philadelphia. That's the Iverson steps over to Ron Liu, and it's 1-1, and they go back to Philadelphia. And back in those days, Cody, way back when, before the social media, I don't know if you can remember that far back, uh, they did 2-3-2 two, two. so you would play two games and then all three middle games at the lower seeds plays and the lakers the lakers won all three of those games and they were all they all had like kind of the same competitiveness competitiveness of last night's game where it's like ended up not being a close game per se but it's kind of competitive and the heater making a run and even at the end i think it was seven or nine points in the fourth quarter late bruce brown attacks robinson turns the corner on the pick and roll, gets to the elbow, stops and gets that little, his pet shot, that Bruce Brown floater. And he's so athletic. He's so bouncy with his vertical game that he doesn't quite float it like a lot of people. Like a lot of people float it as they're as they're jumping, like the old little teardrop as they're leaving, right? Bruce Brown, you know what I'm talking about. Bruce Brown hits a pogo stick and gets up in the air and then floats that thing up. A uh, little little three point play there to help put the game away. KCP hit another three after that, to shut it down. So it's three one. We all know the Heat are, are zombies; they can come out and and just win on any given night. So I don't think the series is over in the sense that uh, I'm you know Denver's not guaranteed to win the next game at home, but it does it does feel like we've turned that point to me.
1: You know, I'm going to give you a nickname on the fly here. I was scrounging through the the YouTube comments over on the More Thinking Basketball YouTube channel, and I, th- I think the user's name is MarcoBTW. I think that's the username. Uh, said that the No Dunks Pod calls the nugget be- Nuggets bench the Compost Crew because you need greens and browns to make a good compost. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of like that. So the Compost Crew, I thought, really showed up. And the one guy that you just talked about, I think Bruce Brown has been pretty unheralded so far. His his explosiveness, not just on like the vertical explosiveness like you talked about, but his ability to touch the paint off the bounce, I think really throws off the bench unit for the heat. They're like almost not expecting it, right? Like It's kind of like this guy that's like, oh, he kind of plays like a weird position. He plays bigger than he looks, but he's actually got a solid little handle. And it's like, oh my God, this guy's all of a sudden blowing by me and he's in the paint and stuff is happening because of it. So uh, the compost crew really showed up and... Um, Bruce Brown, man, I know Aaron Gordon hit a couple of those threes. I think in the second quarter, he had like 16 points or something like that in the second quarter. But I really think Bruce Brown's offensive juice off the bounce has been a key to the Nuggets staying alive in some of those non-Jokic minutes.
0: You know, people keep saying he plays this like unique position, but I think one of the interesting things that ha- that has happened in Denver, in that ecosystem, really well-constructed roster, the superstar in the middle of it, Jokic, Mike Malone coaching. He's playing more traditionally like a guard who can kind of interact with Jokic, play the two-man game, little handoff. Obviously, he's a cutter off the ball. And then he's a 3 and D guy, right? So one thing we've talked about on this show before this season is he's improved his outside shot, specifically from the breakdown in the corners on the side of the court where the line is shorter. So it's interesting because in Brooklyn, there were games where he was like, kind of a weird center thing who was short rolling and setting screens at six, three or whatever he is. But Denver's ecosystem has almost allowed him to play more traditionally. And I think with his improvement and in that environment, you're seeing these flashes of, you know, skill that you didn't really see otherwise that are a bit more traditional, taking someone off the bounce, little floater, um, he even hit a pull-up three. I think it was against Duncan Robinson again. He hit a pull-up three in isolation at one point in the game last night. So that's, it's a great call, Cody. And, of course, we dedicated the video to the other guys, to that supporting cast. Big games from uh, Aaron Gordon, from Brown, KCP quietly. KCP hasn't gotten off really like he did in the Lakers series or like you expect him I mean during the Lakers championship run in 2020 he also had his moments but this there was some KCP notes to the game last night there was there was some a hint of vintage KCP even though he didn't really have a big one so you know Jeff Green's ability to play center switch communicate he knocked down a corner 3 when he was in there i to me i just thought it was a total team effort that's the thing i had in my notes Team effort, uh, both ends of the court, great team defense. The, the totality of your unit is what wins you a championship, and, and Denver's on the brink.
1: Did you know that Bruce Brown, over the playoffs, is actually the most efficient Denver Nugget by true shooting percentage? I, that's crazy to me. I would never have guessed that based on who else is on the team. And, you know, one guy who's traditionally a mo- lot more efficient for them, Michael Porter Jr., credit to him, I don't know if he scored not off a cut in Game 4. I'm pretty sure every single basket he had was for a cut. This is a guy that's really struggling. We talked about some of his defensive issues. We talked about the jumper, you know, some of the the ill-conceived shot attempts, and the fact that some of his wide-open looks are just not going down. But he's still finding a way to get into the paint and score some of those baskets at times. He's not sitting in the corner and pouting. So, uh, you know, shout-out to him trying to do what he can through some of these struggles. Let me ask you a different question, then. Let me pivot a little bit here. This is a big question. Do the answer think, is yes. It, it might be, Ben. It might be. Let me adjust. Let me I, know adjust you,
0: I think I know what you're going to ask. I'm going to
1: go with a preemptive yes. Ben, was this Nikola Jokic's best defensive game? Yes. That's what is I that, thought you were going to ask. Yes. 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 This is amazing. Uh, that's this what I thought amazing. you were going
0: to ask. That's the way I described it in the Game before video. I think it's his best defensive game. And I, I, I would like to stop and just contextualize this for a minute. I don't know if we need to step back, if we need to wait... For after the series, to take a step back and do bigger picture historical stuff, um, like for instance, you know Jamal Murray is third in the entire playoffs in our box plus minus. It's Jokic, Booker, Jamal Murray. I just, I just feel like people aren't really, you know, talking about this. This is, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. But this is another one that to me is a data point and a talking point really worth thinking about and sizing up compared to the other things we've seen from Jokic. First of all, the players around him are much better than they used to be defensively. We've talked about that before. Secondly, in this run, I think it was Seth Partnow who had a tweet explicitly about this today or last night. They have not run into like a true five-out team. They have not run into a team with a real shooting spacing threat at center full time, or or going small ball and playing a small ball center who can shoot. And Cody is Cody's. I can see the wheels are turning in his head. Gobert with Minnesota, um, frankly, Minnesota, as we talked about, gave them problems maybe more so than any of the other teams they've faced. Anthony Davis doesn't stretch the floor the same way, and in the second round, DeAndre Ayton, or Jacques Londel. Um, <laughs> it's, it's hopefully, hopefully like, people in his family aren't listening to this and going, what's going It's an, It's a running bit. Um, we, we, we no longer say his name normally. It's getting weird. But, you know, like, now you're in this series, and who are they playing? The Heat, Bam Adebayo. Bam Adebayo is not a shooter or a spacer And the Heat really haven't played sort of like a small ball love at five, have him hang out on the perimeter. And they certainly haven't played a a five-out style lineup like you'd see from the Clippers or even the Thunder or something like that. So I think in that sense, it's a a playoff run that has both had good matchups and good teammates around him. But with that said, I mean, we've talked about the fact that he's not really – a big vertical shot blocker uh, doesn't have great rim presence and you don't really want him hovering and switching out on the perimeter all the time. Um, hawking, Hawking ball handlers. Cause that's a weakness as well, but everywhere else, Cody, he's been like good, not, not passable. He's been good at many of the other things. I mean, we know his hands are spectacular, but his positioning, his recovery His reads, last night alone, he had like three or four, maybe five really good help plays that you want from like high-end big men in the paint where the ball's on the other side, there's a breakdown, out of the corner of of their eye, they catch it. And say what you will about Jokic's agility, he's a really underrated physical athlete for his size. He moves incredibly well for his size. He has a very high motor. And in short spaces, he can kind of bounce around really quickly and effectively. And so on those rotations, when he's coming from the weak side, he sees it out of the corner of his eye. And all of a sudden, like, boom, boom, he takes these like little jog-like bouncing steps over and he's at the rim. And again, he's not there to inhale the shot like Jaron Jackson Jr. or Anthony Davis, but... He is like 6'11 barefoot. He is really tall. He does have really good hands. And I mean, I think a lot of it has got to be noise. But the Heat are shooting 44% in this series against him on shots inside six feet. And he is coming over and rotating in the right position, playing good help, getting to the ball screen, getting back to Adebayo. Uh I, I just think he's been good in, in a bunch of these other areas. Uh, it's, it's, it's been really interesting to
1: see. Yeah, when Miami was trying to claw back, I think this was in the second half, specifically the third quarter, if I'm not wrong. I think Jokic has two straight steals against the pick and roll that led to transition opportunities. I think they may have actually scored in transition on one of them, just straight up, just like a lamp. On the other one, I think Jeff Green may have drawn a foul. So when you're thinking about, in terms of like points per possession, number one, he's forcing a turbo, turnover, which necessarily means zero points in that possession for the opponent. And then you're getting them the most efficient shots in basketball, a free throw or layup on the other end of the court, like those plays, those plays add up and they mean something. And I thought he had more than that, four, maybe even like five really strong handsy plays where he's just getting in there and disrupting them. I think one of them, Butler was maybe trying to like throw a pocket pass behind him and he was able to read it and steal it. I'm not exactly sure. Let me go back to something. Because there's there's actually something that's bothering me a little bit about what you said. That they, I think you said Seth Partnow might have said it, that they haven't played like a true blue five-out offense. Ben, who's a title contender beyond Boston that's a true blue five-out offense? Like, Part of me thinks, I'm going to answer it just a little bit, part of me thinks that since like the 2017 Warriors, there's been kind of this conception that's like, oh my god, you have to have a switch everything lineup, your big man has to be able to guard out on the perimeter because you have to face the Warriors. That Warriors team does not exist anymore. Draymond Green is not stretching you out. Kevon Looney is not stretching you out, right? Then people are like, oh, the 2021 Clippers, they completely went out and, and just blitzed Rudy Gobert. There's nothing you can do. Sure, that Clippers team does not exist anymore. Ben, beyond Boston, how many teams can actually be a championship-level team and have a five-out offense? Because I don't know if the answer is is any.
0: Well, uh, I think it's a great point. There are definitely fewer teams of that construction right now. But at least for me, when I size up how you know good someone is, whatever that means, what is the strength and weakness, it is relative to the league they're playing in. So if you're in a league that, you got to get through the Western Conference and every team has a a pull-up three-point shooter off the bounce and they're going to stretch you out and play spread pick pick and roll or whatever and make you come out and guard 30 feet away then I want to understand okay 50 percent 70 percent of the teams are like that and 50 percent or 30 percent of the teams are constructed with a rolling big man who Rudy Gobert is going to eat for lunch or something so I'm, I'm always interested in what the composition is when you are talking about, A, the likelihood of having guys on your team. The classic example is 3 and D players. There are more 3 and D players now, especially ones that can shoot, than there were 10 or 20 years ago because of the nature of the league and the talent pool and, and, and the demands of what teams want. Similarly, on the other end, as you said, there may not be that many but I think it's worth acknowledging that when you run into a certain matchup, it might not be a good matchup. And, and that usually has to do with you know some kind of spacing, spaced out, stretch three-point shooting. So to be fair, Cody, there are only a handful of championship contenders in the league. And the Celtics are the one that can fit that bill. But I think the Clippers wanted to be... Like that, right? I think there are a few other teams that want to be like that. The season's almost over, so I can't even remember the names of any of the other franchises that that haven't played in the final four, but you see what I'm getting at, right? Like, I think it's a great point, and I think there are maybe fewer high end competitors like that, but it's worth understanding to me on both sides. We talked about it during um, the top 40 podcast series, we talked about it in great debates. You don't just want to look at a player. And say, in his best scenario, this is exactly how he is. He see he can average 60 points a game on 90 percent true shooting. I've seen it. And you don't want to do the opposite. you don't want to look at his worst scenario and say, "This is a guy who and, and you know people have said this people. Have said this specifically about Jokic after things like the Sun series a couple years ago, Chris Paul and Devin Booker—they they can't stop him. The drop is just—he can't do anything. He's going to get carved up. It's going to be a one thirty offensive rating, and you're you're stuck with Jokic. The truth lies somewhere in the middle. The brilliance of your point is that it's not directly in the middle. That's a, that's a middle ground fallacy. You just have to kind of look at the league and assess. How likely are they to move toward one side or the other of that continuum? Similarly, how likely are you to have teammates that you can easily build around versus you need like some special... You know, you've heard that about the Warriors. Ah, it only works because of the system and because of Draymond Green. It's like, yeah, probably not. But let's try to understand like what it actually means to be able to construct a successful roster around these players.
1: And, you know, I think that most people—and I'm not sitting here saying that Jokic is, like, an all-defensive-level defensive player. I'm not—I'm literally not saying that. But it does feel like when people talk about him, they're only hypothetically putting him in that worst situation. They're like, oh, yeah, but what, if they played the 2017 Warriors, there's nothing—great. No, no one was doing anything until, like, that Rockets team, right? But
0: don't you think that's because they just saw it twi- twice, right? And, and this is the psychology of basketball, like, sample size of two— is microscopic. But I get a lot of, shall we say, nasty grams from the internet when I point out, like, no, I'm not convinced by this thing. And if you take into account injuries, sometimes or pandemic time, people are like, well, I haven't seen it in four years. So it's like, yes, four human years have passed. But what happened was they played the Warriors and the Suns. That's it. They played them twice, and they played them without certain players. And so that would be one end of the spectrum that's probably extreme. Maybe this is closer to the other end of the spectrum. Spectrum, And to your point, it might not be that extreme anymore, because we might actually be in an in a era or a little mini epoch, I don't know what you want to call it, where the top title teams or even the top six or eight playoff teams can't easily throw out these like, Super spacey, uh, you know, sexy shooting five-out lineups or whatever.
1: And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm not trying to do like a post mortem on the the playoffs at this point yet. Like we're not over. I'm not, I'm not silly enough to try and do that sort of thing. But it did feel like that size was significant, and being able to be really physical was significant, right? Like Bam Adebayo, like I said, not stretching the court, but a great defensive player. In years past, Giannis and Brooke Lopez. You know, Cleveland has two huge guys. Uh, the other, the guy that won MVP, Ben is Joel Embiid. Like, the NBA right now is leaning towards players that are enormous and good at being near the rim. So then if you're, like, anchor defensive player, if you want to call Jokic that, is stronger against that than the other side then maybe on the end that actually turns out to be a little bit of a positive because he's better versus most of the league than some of the teams that can just go directly against his weakness. And then the other point I know that we brought up during the regular season is that his offense allows this weird construction of role players that are super flexible defensively. Like you said, we could whip out the shift. They could switch around. They could defend pretty much any other kind of player. But, like, you can't necessarily roll out a lineup that would have, like, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, expected to have a good offensive rating if Jokic himself – wasn't like the engine of it. So it kind of works on multiple of these levels where he allows the, the defensive construction around him. And he's also pretty solid against the majority of team builds that are currently in the NBA.
0: Yeah, um, I want to I put some numbers on this. Very small sample for me. So this is pretty noisy, but I just want to bring it up to make the point. W- what do you think Rob Williams' on-court defensive rating was? in his 20 playoff games this season. Wait, Rob Rob Williams on-court defensive rating? Defensive rating. So what was the Celtics defensive rating in the 20 games, the 400-something minutes that Rob Williams played in the playoffs?
1: This is really tricky because I know there were times that I thought Rob didn't look like Rob, and then there were times Rob really looked like Rob, and I'm like, oh, this is it oh my goodness their offense is really good were they killing people i'm gonna guess like a one i'm gonna like a 108 108 defensive rating it was 117 i'm not close
0: 117 (laughs) and you want to guess what Jokic and the nuggets were when Jokic was on the floor well there's still there's still games left but so far he's played 19 games 750 minutes what is denver's defensive rating in the postseason when he's on the court
1: had a couple low 100s. I'm going to guess like 112. That's a great guess.
0: Fantastic guess. It's 113,
1: mm.
0: which is kind of in the middle of the pack. If you were to look at all the on-court defensive ratings of the players in this playoffs in 2023, it's kind of in the middle of the pack. So to me, again, that is not an incredibly definitive statement or anything like that. Very noisy. But it's just a data point that you can look at and say, where roughly where is this team defensively in this postseason with everything we just talked about when he's on the court? Are they dominant and great? No. Are they bad? Not at all. Not at all. I think in a lot of cases, they've been actually kind of good. Those are raw numbers. They're noisy. They're unadjusted for opponent. Um, So they've hovered somewhere between like passable and good. And you snuck in a little nugget there, no pun intended, when you're this good offensively and you can construct certain things around you, for as much as we want to say, well, we lose flexibility because we have to we have to protect Jokic. We don't have a rim protector, so we're kind of limited because he's not a big vertical rim protector. If we want shot blocking, um, we have to change our roster construction and things like that. Okay, yes, that's true, but you get some of it back, in my opinion, by the flexibility of being able to just... Get, guarantee a good offense with, like, you and I could go out there, and I think the Nuggets would have a good offense. So uh, I, I do think it cuts both ways.
1: Let's go to the other side of the uh, the court for a second. Because I've been saying this entire time, I think I initially was like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a sweep, but I'm going to be respectful and say maybe Nuggets in four or five. And if Monday rolls the Nuggets way, it's going to be five games. Um, we've seen, from Miami, we've seen blitz coverage. We've seen zone against what we've called the most unzonable player in the league. Uh, we've seen switching. We've seen it all, Ben. What does Miami have left? Like what, what sort of expectations do you have for what they, what they have to try in game five to, to continue this series?
0: A very tight pack line defense, Virginia style. <laughs> they just bring They – don't even go out to the three-point line. Just <laughs> sit everyone in a shell and say if you would like to shoot 63s. I, there was a moment in the game last night in game four – where Jokic was just bombing threes, right? He ended up taking seven threes in the game, which was the most of anyone in the entire game. Last night, he was three for seven. And there was this little moment where I was like, is Miami going to do it? Are they really going to do it? Are they going to dare him to take 17 three-point attempts in a game? Because he doesn't want to. But there was a stretch last night where he, remember he came down and he took one from like 29 feet and drained it. And I was like, oh, is he, is he leaning into this? Are the heat leaning into this? Is this going to happen? Are they going to do it? Uh, they didn't do it. But at this point, I don't know, Cody, I would, I would try anything at this point. I would be open to absolutely anything. You want to go jumbo? Um, let's, let's get, let's get Zeller and Love and Bam all out there at the same time. You want to go micro? You want to play Jimmy Butler at center? Maybe maybe let's try Jimmy Butler at center. I don't know if there's a good answer for Miami. This is just part of the dearth of, of talent, you know, relative to, I think, what it takes to
1: stop and compete with them. There was actually a point where, where you're saying this, where... Jokic fired a couple, fired up a couple of these threes, and I thought he took a really hasty three on one of them. Like Bam closed out a little bit quick, and in my head, I'm giving way too much credit here. I'm, cred- I'm just crediting way too much. But in my head, I'm like, is this kind of him being like, yeah, do it? I dare you to make me shoot all these because I will shoot them all night. Here's a fun fact about Jokic, though. I just pulled this up. This is fresh, fresh off the pa- uh, presses, Ben. This is some good stuff. Jokic has four games. Wait a second wait a second Ben I need to vamp for a second that was incorrect I was about to read you false data so was it ge- I, was it
0: generated by AI
1: <laughs> did no, you consult to... did you consult chat GPT for this no I consulted Stathead for this and I didn't put the regular season thing my whole bit about the numbers doesn't work anymore I'm just going to say that Jokic has only taken more than 10 threes twice in his playoff career and he's he's been one and one in those games. So I don't know if you want to run those numbers, uh, maybe that's Miami's best shot. I feel like Al Horford, I feel like a team tried that against Al Horford a few years ago. I think of that, the Al Horford strategy where it's like, make this guy shoot 15 three pointers and see what happens. I don't know, Ben, Miami's got to really try something weird. If they're going to try and eke this one out.
0: I just got an alert as we're recording heat mascot sent to ER after getting punched twice by UFC legend, Connor McGregor during game four of the finals. Wait, what? Yeah, I no I sh- you can't make that up. You just you just can't make that up. Uh, if you're listening from the future, I thought maybe you'd like to hear that one that is uh <laughs> what I I don't know where to go from here, Cody. Um I think I think some of the bigger picture things we have to save until the season ends. Yep. For yep. this team. I think the last thing I'll float out unless you have other technical stuff to get into from the game. I think the last thing I'll float out is it, it feels like because Denver's new and maybe because Miami is also so kind of unexpected and doesn't have a championship pedigree and all that stuff, it feels like we haven't yet reached the point of the overreactions and the sweeping narratives. It's just everyone's just kind of sitting there on a simmer. We're not at a boil. We're not cooking anything. I don't even know if the stove is on, to be be honest right now. It just feels very chill, like very quiet before the storm. I don't know if 2015 Warriors were the last time that happened, but I think we've been in a cycle for so long. With LeBron James making all the finals in a row and all the championships, and then the repeat, uh, the rematches, excuse me, with Golden State, and then Kevin Durant going to Golden State, and then Kevin Durant getting injured, and then Golden State revitalizing. Even your Milwaukee Bucks when they won, there was a lot of history there. There was a lot of history with the with the series the year before and winning. Sorry, two two years before, two series in a row, uh, winning MVP. Um, you know, the Raptors were able to go on and defeat them and come back and win um, four to two in that series. So it feels like who, who played in 2020 oh, LeBron James in 2020 in the bubble. So it, it feels like this is the first time in a long time that the kind of the landscape, the, the NBA sphere, if you will, uh, doesn't have a lot of I don't know what the right word is baggage. A lot of baggage that they're bringing in to the narrative. And it's just, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you sense that. It just feels like we're sitting here and nothing is really cooking yet. Maybe when the season ends, we'll get there. But um, I think the Murray, all the stuff we talked about with Jokic, sort of very little discussion about how good Jamal Murray's been relative to like, this is a historical, like the guy's never made an all-star team. How good is he actually? How well is he playing? How great is this offense? This is this historically great offense? It's just It's all sitting there to be to be
1: discussed. I think we need to wait for it to be over. I know there's at least one conversation that i'm I'm ready to uncork if the the nuggets win that I definitely plan on having with you. On this podcast, but I think there's a few of those retrospectives that are going to be really fascinating once people start diving into the numbers and the 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 film and being like, oh, maybe we should actually talk about this now. But I like to think that people are actually waiting before getting their takes off. I love that. That's fantastic. Um, or you- maybe people are just really embarrassed because they said a really a lot of nonsensical things about Jokic during the season and a bunch of people just have their tails between their legs at this point. That could also be um, another thing or no one's watching the finals right now. That's, that's also a possibility who knows what's going on. The
0: the ratings are, are I think at least as good as they were last year. So I, I can't figure it out. I have no idea what's going on. Um, Do you have anything else that you want to add before we move on to game five?
1: Uh, We're gonna talk about Game Five right now.
0: (laughs) Do you have thoughts about it? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do we're just gonna record a bunch of different permutations of how
1: we think Game Five will go. We'll just bang that out right now. Wasn't it weird that like literally just ran a full court press the entire game, like a classic like three one one sort of thing? I've never seen it in the NBA before. It was crazy. What do you think of Peyton Watson
0: coming off the bench for seventeen big minutes in a in a closeout game?
1: I, actually, I've, I have no opinion. Uh, that's cool. Like, good for him. I like that people get out there. But I, th- do you have something cool to say about that?
0: If you, if you want to support this uh, podcast, check out patreon.com slash Basketball. That's the best way to directly support us. Uh, we have a Discord community. We have these stats that we reference throughout the season that we use to research podcasts and videos and a ton more content. Patreon.com slash Basketball. That is it for this one. Uh, Thanks, as always, for listening to the end. And of course, especially now that the season is winding down and wherever you're listening from, I hope you're having a great day.